must not be afraid to honor this word. And what better place for the church to focus its attention than on the book of Acts? How many want what the apostles had? How many want the church to be an apostolic church? Church on fire. Church alive in the spirit. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them clothed in tongues like as a fire, and it set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Let's pray. God, in your precious name, we ask you to help us. We ask you to anoint the preaching of the word tonight. We pray that you will guide this servant and help me to speak the word with clarity and with conviction. In Jesus' name. Amen. It is impossible for me to imagine that God is not up to something. I don't believe God sleeps. I don't believe he slumbers. Contrary to your pastor, he doesn't take vacations. He's always on the job. And I can't believe that he's an inept God. I can't, I can't fathom a God without power. What kind of God would it be if he had no power? I can't imagine God with no purpose. He's a God that is. He's a God that always was. He's a God that will forever be. He's on the job. He's alive. And he has a purpose. How many believe God has a purpose? He has an agenda. He has a cause. God is interested in some things. Even though we may not be able to understand what I'm going to say in absolute human terms, I believe God has a heart. He has a passion. I believe there are things on God's heart. If we would dare say it this way, there are things on God's mind. You would think, wouldn't you, that the church would be interested in what God is interested in. You would think that if we're going to search for anything, we would be searching for the will of God. The causes of God, the purposes of God, the things of God. If we would seek to know anything, would we not be interested and should we not be interested in the things that pertain to the power of God? The church should be seeking after God's will. The church should want to know God. Holy Ghost filled people ought to be interested in what God is interested in. How many believe that you're Baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost. How many here are baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost? Amen. You're not ashamed of that, are you? Let me ask again. How many are baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost? Then you ought to be interested in what God is interested in. You ought to be interested in what God loves and what God cares about. It is a tragic situation when people that are claimed are claiming to be the children of God and claiming to be born again of the water and of the Spirit when they don't know anything about God, when they don't know what God's will is or what God's purpose is, that's not a good thing. 
We should be interested in what God is interested in. How many know that God has called us to duty? He's called us to service. He's placed us in His kingdom. He's filled us with His Spirit. How many believe that has a purpose? How many believe that uh, is all for a purpose? God is not a Mickey Mouse God. He's not a playing God. He's not, he's not just a God of uh, man's imagination. He is a real God. He is an on-time God. He is, he is a God that is uh, the Creator God. All things were made by Him, and all things were made for Him, and by Him all things consist. You know what that tells me? He, he was on the job, and He's still on the job, and He's going to always be on the job. God hasn't forsaken the world. He hasn't turned His back on mankind. He hasn't turned, in, turned His back on purpose. God hasn't given up. Is that a revelation? I'm telling you, God has not given up. We quit, God never quits. We get tired, God never gets tired. We get sleepy, God never gets sleepy. We get weary, God never gets weary. God is God in every way that you can imagine. You ought to be interested in God. You ought to want to know what God is interested in. Some people say, well, I want to serve the Lord. I want to do things for God. Then you better figure out what God is trying to do. God doesn't want you to just do anything. He wants you to do what is according to His will. Suppose I was working on a project and you said, Brother Mooney, I want to help. I want to help you. And you said, I'm coming over to your house. I'm going to help you. If I'm, if I'm digging ditches, that's what I need you to do. If you want to help me and I'm digging ditches, when you come over to my house, be prepared to dig ditches. If Mickey's got me washing windows, and you say, Brother Mooney, I, I want to come over and help you, then if you're going to come over and help me on a given day that I'm washing windows, you better be prepared to bring your bucket and your sponge. I'm not getting much help from you tonight. Some people say, well, I want to help in the church, but they don't want to do what the church is doing. Some people just want to do what they want to do. But if you want to help somebody, you've got to figure out what that somebody is doing. You want to help your brother, what is your brother doing? If he has a flat tire and he, he's changing a flat tire on the side of the road, don't stop and check his oil. You don't say, well, I, I see you here on the side of the road and you're changing your tire. You've got a terrible flat tire. He said, you go ahead and do that and I'll, I'll check your oil. He doesn't need you to check his oil. Help him with the tire. See, that's what I'm saying. We need to figure out what God is all about. We need to figure out what God wants us to do. We need to get plugged into the will of God. We need to ask God, God, what is your will? What is your purpose? What is it that you want the church to do? We're your people. We're called by your name. We're filled with your spirit. We belong to you. We stepped out of this world and stepped into your kingdom. Now, God, what do you want us to do? I wonder if the church would be so bold as to ask the question tonight, God, what do you want us to do? What, what kind of work do you want us to do? When I want to please my wife, I say, honey, what can I do? Where do you want to go? Where, what store do you want to go to? Yes, yes, dear. I'll be sitting out in front of the store reading the paper. Just, and when she gets back in the car, I say, yes, wasn't that fun? Where do you want to go now? No, some of you men don't sit there like macho heathens. You're a lot more domesticated than some of you want to admit. 
When you please your wife, you want to do what she wants to do. Isn't that right? You understand what I'm trying to say. How many know we need to find out what God's will is? I believe God wants the church to have a revival. I believe God wants us to do some things in the Spirit. I think God wants us to be alive in these last days. You know, if you wanted to find out about God and what God's will is, if you, uh, if you wanted to know what God's purposes are in the earth, you've got to go to God to get information from God and about God. You, you, you can't go to Hollywood and find out about God. Steven Spielberg is not going to be making movies about the will of God. That's why if you're sitting in front of the video machine night after night after night after night after night after night after night, ain't nobody going to help me preach now. Night after night after night, you're not going to find the will of God. The bartender down there doesn't know anything about the will of God. He can talk to you about the pacers. He can talk to you about the fight last night. But he can't talk to you about the will of God. He doesn't know about the will of God. The television set cannot teach you about the will of God. Oprah Winfrey does not know what the will of God is for this world. If you want to find out about God, you got to go to God. you got to talk to God. you got to get in the prayer meeting and you got to say, God, tell me one more time. Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? What kind of person do you want me to be? What is your mission for the church? What is your purpose for the church? What is your goal? Oh, I wish somebody would help me preach now. What is your goal for the church? What kind of people do you want us to be? What kind of message do you want us to preach? It's important that we inquire after God, that we seek out God, that we, we find out what it is that God would have us to do. Now, I was walking on the streets of New York City and Sister Mooney was uh, shopping and uh, just horsing around, doing nothing. But I was doing great things. And I was walking around on the streets and I began in my own way to uh, during one little segment of our vacation. We went to New York and we were walking around and shopping and enjoying all the sights and and the uh, uh, components of the city. Uh, New York and the eastern seaboard of the United States is an interesting part of the country. Sixty percent of all the books published in America never leave the eastern seaboard. The, the eastern seaboard is, with all due respect to the Midwest and other parts of the world, the eastern seaboard is the intellectual and cultural center of the United States, if not the world. Uh, along the strip of universities and college, Harvard and Yale and so forth, and Columbia University in New York City, is the very heartbeat of Western civilization, intellectualism, academicism, and philosophy and so forth. And the great thinkers and the great movers and shakers and motivators of our world actually either live or at least interact with all of the intelligentsia and the structure of the eastern seaboard. So it is an interesting place. It's a fascinating place. Churches, so-called churches, with the exception of the massive Pentecostal revival that's taking place in New York City and throughout the East Coast, Outside of that, most of the churches are totally and completely secularized and humanized. 
The city, for the most part, has lost connection with God and lost connection with the Spirit of God. Most people are in a stupor, a, sexu- a secular stupor. They have no concept of anything beyond their own desires, ambitions, and wishes. I was just meditating on all this and the masses of humanity, as you know, that teeming city of millions, multiplied millions of people and and just watching all the uh, uh, aspects of culture as they display themselves in, uh, in, in a normal average day in the great city of New York. And my heart was broken. I think Brother Marler called me in the middle of that, uh, one of my walks in the city. And, and at the time he called, I was literally in tears. I was just crying and I was praying and I was saying, God, there's got to be some way that we can reach out to the world. There's got to be some, you've got to talk to me, God. You've got to help me because uh, I realize that unless the church gets in touch with God, we are not going to reach this generation. This generation has isolated for the most part. Stay with me now. I'm not going to preach long tonight. I won't finish this sermon. This is just an introductory kind of remark. I want to talk to you over the next few weeks about revival and about the will of God. So just think of this kind of as the introductory sermon to to what I want to talk to you about. But, you know, this world is insulated from finding out very much spiritually. And, And what is sad is to see the church getting away from the uh, sensitivity to the spirit. We got church people that are desensitized to the spirit. We come to church many times and it's just an act of duty. We're really not seeking after God. We go through the motions of our Christianity in, in a very desensitized way, unfortunately. But we've got to shake loose from that and we've got to somehow get back to the prayer room and somehow we've got to renew in us the ambition to touch God one more time. I wonder if there's anybody here that could just say, I want I want to feel His Spirit one more time. I want to be renewed in the Holy Ghost. I want to speak in tongues again. I want to feel the glory and power of God upon my life again. Is there anybody here that feels that way? And I thought of that scripture in Psalms where David said, uh, and I think it's in Psalms chapter 27. And Sister Gail, if you're back there, maybe you can just get it up for me. Just jump to Psalms. I want to show you this little verse of scripture because it was the way I felt. And I just thought, Lord, if you don't help us, if you don't come on the scene, if you don't, if you don't get with us, if you don't, uh, if you don't talk to us, there is no hope. David looked at this world. He said, I had fainted. I would have fainted. I would have just passed out unless I had believed that somehow God was going to work his goodness in the land of the living. I wouldn't have made it. I couldn't have survived. That was the kind of day I had on this given day. I was just so burdened and I was filled with tears and emotion. And I thought, God, I don't see any way to crack through this facade. I don't see any way to crack through this terrible, uh, this terrible dense fog of humanism and secularism and all of this anti-religion and anti-Christianity. And some Americans, you know, say they believe in God, but they don't believe in the God of the Bible. They believe in the God according to their own ideas and concepts and I'm just wrestling with how are we going to get through with this and and to to this world and how are we going to reach how are we going to stir the city how are we going to awaken what a great congregation this is but how as a pastor I'm struggling with this how
how am I going to awaken you? And how am I going to get you uh, in a renewed place of commitment? How am I going to be able to inspire you somehow to reach out for revival? And I was just despairing. And I was thinking, God, we're just too plugged into this world. And I thought of the scripture where David said, I would have fainted. I almost fainted. But I remembered that God wanted to do some good things in the land of the living. Ladies and gentlemen, I come to you tonight with a renewed kind of passion for the fact that God still wants to do some good things in the land of the living. I would despair if I didn't believe that God still wants to send revival to the church. I would quit if I didn't believe that God is still in control of the universe. I would just drop out unless I had a firm conviction and faith that the Lord is still able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all we could ask or think. Somebody say hallelujah. If I didn't believe that God was going to help us, I wouldn't be asking you to give so that we could build a new church and a new school. But I believe the Lord is with us. If I didn't believe the Lord was with us, I wouldn't talk about revival. But I believe the Lord is with us. I believe God is still filling people with the Holy Ghost. I believe God wants to send a revival to America. Clap your hands to the Lord. He wants to send a revival to America. Somebody shout hallelujah. God, I want to know what you want to do. A revival to America needs to be carefully defined. Because we're not just talking about building mega churches. That's not a revival. You can have a lot of people in the pew and it's still not a revival. You can even have a lot of people joining the church. Some people perhaps even receiving the Holy Ghost. And that in and of itself is not a true revival. A revival may consist of emotion. It may consist of great joy. It may consist of of, uh, church growth and all those kinds of things. But you can have some of those things through the result of evangelistic efforts and through human dynamics and people just working hard to get to the next level. But there's another kind of revival, another kind of of quickening. The word revive, for the most part in the Bible, means a quickening. There's another kind of spirit quickening that goes way beyond human talent. Uh, This is a talented church. Talented churches can do lots of things. We have money and energy and ability to do lots of things. But we need a revival that goes past our ability. We need a touch and a move of God that goes past what we can do. We need a revival we can't sing up. A revival we can't preach up. A revival we can't work up. A revival that we can't just manipulate and control. A revival that we don't create or design. A revival that is not a result of our own thoughts and mechanisms. But a revival that comes from God. A revival from His source of power and glory. A revival of His grace and mercy that's beyond human dimension. Somebody shout hallelujah! That kind of that kind of revival needs to be carefully understand because I believe that's what God wants to do. Now I was searching through and working on all this in my mind and I was trying not to uh, I really didn't want to do this. I was trying to break away from it. And I came to grips with two things in my own heart that I want to communicate. And I feel led of the Holy Spirit to communicate these two things. And if I don't get any further, it's okay because I'm not trying to complete a sermon here. I just want to preach till I get tired. And I'm halfway. If, 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 if I was a, a, a gauge, I'm already half empty. I, if that's any encouragement to you. But I do have a reserve tank, by the way. 
uh, it's just my first tank that's half empty. And uh, I, I do have a reserve tank and I can always hit that button. And then, of course, the Holy Ghost is another tank just in case we get there. But uh, there were two things that I really do believe, and I'm not just making this up. I'm, I didn't contrive this just so I can have something to say. I really felt impressed of the Holy Spirit. That it, and, and really, it's so simple that we might miss it. Two things. Now, if you talk to God, I believe if you talk to God, if you somehow could communicate with God, you would find that God is in complete, don't you agree? He's in complete alliance with His book. God never works contrary to his word. There's some people talking about a revival that I can't find in the Bible. You know, when we talk about revival, we're not just talking about hysteria. We're not just talking about some kind of little prophetic parlor games that some people want to play. We're talking about a revival of God's spirit that really moves people to a place of surrender and commitment and love and reality. We're not talking about a put-on revival, a make-believe revival, a pretend revival. We're not talking about a revival that is uh, that smacks of all kinds of flesh and, and a, some kind of revival that's just just the product of religious marketing. I'm talking about a real moving of the Holy Spirit. I'm not talking about a singing concert where people get excited about the close harmony of the singers. I'm not talking about a revival that causes people to get excited about a good orchestra or somebody gets excited about some kind of preaching oratory. I'm talking about a real revival that brings you to your knees, that brings you to a place of surrender, that brings you to a place of commitment. A revival sent from God, a quickening sent from the throne of heaven that changes your life, that changes your way of thinking, that changes your attitude, that changes your perspective. Somebody clap your hands to the Lord. A revival that awakens you to a new commitment to prayer. A revival that awakens you to a new commitment to sacrificial giving. A revival that awakens you to honesty. A revival that awakens you to love. A revival that awakens you to a place where you can say, as Jesus prayed in the garden, Not my will, but thy will be done. That kind of revival. It's not a TV revival. It's not a charismatic put-on revival. It's a real deal sent from God out of heaven. Somebody say hallelujah. And I'm not just talking about speaking in tongues and I'm not just talking about praying a few little prayers and crying some crocodile tears. I'm talking about a real connection with the Holy Spirit. Something that is so real and so genuine that nobody can get through. Now don't, I'm just going to say this in the way of a mild rebuke, but some of you would exclude yourself from a new dimension in God because you're satisfied to be already where you are but there's not one of us in this place yours truly included who is really where we need to be not one person not one person on this platform and not one person in this audience is really where we need to be there's not one individual that could not afford to move up a little bit higher and get a little bit closer to God there's a lot of repenting that needs to be done in this place. There's a lot of I'm sorry's that need to take place in some people's lives. There's a lot of readjustment that needs to take place in some people's lives. There's a lot of retooling of the mind that needs to take place in some people's minds. Some of us here need to get a new attitude. We need to get a new approach to living. We need to get a new commitment to righteousness and holiness. 
So I think if God would speak to us, what he would say to us would not be contrary to his word. And I felt in my spirit two things. Those two things dovetailed as far as I could see perfectly with what Jesus has said to us in his word. And I think there are two components, at least for me, and I'm going to say this as the pastor of this church, that I think they are the two components that I feel led of the Spirit to kind of, uh, shall I say, guide us with over the next few months, perhaps even the next year or so. Two very important principles that we got to get. First of all, I think I would defend what I'm going to say by contending one more time that if we could talk to God, this is what God really wants to do. First of all, Jesus said to us, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. I propose to you tonight that this is the first thing that the church must refocus on, shall we say, and that is lifting up Jesus Christ. He still wants to be lifted up. He still wants to be exalted as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus still expects those of us who are filled with His Spirit, who belong to His church, who have been baptized into His body, to be about the business of lifting Him up. Lift Him up to the sinner. Lift him up to your relatives. Lift him up to your mama. Lift him up to your daddy. Lift him up to your enemies. Lift him up to your friend. Lift him up in the church. Lift him up in your song. Lift him up in your sermon. Lift him up in your prayer. Lift him up in the morning. Lift him up in the noonday. Lift him up at nighttime. Every day, lift him up. Exalt him. Praise him. Give him honor. Give him glory. How many love the name Jesus? How many know it is a name? That is above every name. And at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess. Ladies and gentlemen, the first component of a real modern day apostolic revival is to get back in the business of lifting. Of lifting. Him up. Lifting. Him up. I wish somebody would help me lift him up. I praise. Ought to lift him up. Our church meetings ought to lift him up. Everything we do should be for his glory. Put your hands together and thank the Lord with me. Lift him up, lift him up, lift him up, lift him up, lift him up. If I, I believe I can hear him say, if I be lifted up, I will draw. If I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Songwriters have got to quit writing whiny little ballads about how bad they feel or about how uncertain they are and get back to writing songs that lift him up and exalt him. If you're lost in the storm, then don't pick sad songs. Get back in the prayer room until you can find songs of jubilee and songs of victory and songs of power. Somebody said recently, I heard a little criticism recently. Somebody said, well, Brother Mooney, he doesn't want any songs that are... 
you know, not real fast songs or real happy songs. Right. I don't want little whiny drug addiction songs. I'm lost in the wilderness. I'm so confused. Just got my little guitar out here singing a song of musings. Give me a break. Don't sing until you're ready to lift him up. I'm tired of preaching that doesn't lift him up. Don't preach until you can lift him up. Don't preach until you have the courage to say that there's one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. Stop preaching until you've got the courage to say there is one God who is above all, through all, and in you all. I tell you, Jesus Christ is not the second person of anybody's imagined trinity. He is the great God, Jehovah, the creator that stepped out of time and walked upon this earth. And we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Come on, church. Help me lift him up. Help me lift him up. Apostolic... Apostolic people have nothing to bring to an ecumenical table of compromise when it comes to the message of Jesus Christ. We do not accept him except in one dimension. And that is that Jesus Christ is not a God or one of the gods or the second personality of God, but he is the almighty God, Jehovah, manifested in the flesh. That's why I say we got to get back to lifting him up. And if you're trying to figure out a way for this church to compromise with every false doctrine and every evil, uh, every little evil concept, I want to tell you, it can never be done. And as for this church, Calvary Tabernacle, let us stand true as an apostolic church in the last days and say we will not bend, we will not bow, we will not compromise, we will not change our message, we will not preach any other faith but the faith that was once delivered under the saints. Somebody shout hallelujah. Lift him up, 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 lift him up. That's what God wants to do. He wants you to be in the business of lifting him up. Lift him up in our books. Lift him up in our schools. Lift him up to our children. Lift him up everything we do. Let it all be for his glory. And let it be for his praise. I wish I could stand behind this desk and tell you that everyone that I know is interested in lifting him up. But I'm sad to say there are many who for the sake of making the almighty dollar, for the sake of compromising with so-called evangelicals, for the sake of being on the team and getting in the satellite club just for the sake of selling records and tapes are willing to rewrite our doctrines rewrite our concepts and rewrite our commitments of faith just so they can become big time well ladies and gentlemen I would rather be in a storefront church with the truth than at Calvary Tabernacle with a lie 
I'd rather not ever have the privilege of preaching on some worldwide cable network and still have the truth than to have to compromise my message to be in somebody's little corner or to be on somebody's little team. Because if we will lift him up, he will lift us up. If we will stay humble and let Jesus be who he is, then God will keep us. God will protect us. God will help us. God will walk with us. God will bless us. God will anoint us. Oh, I wish somebody would help me preach. Come on, church. We've got to lift him up. I feel the Holy Ghost settling in on this place. I'm talking about a real revival. A real revival. A real revival. Jesus said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Huh? Can I get a witness? How many believe Jesus was God manifested in the flesh? Huh? Jesus. Who are these? Who are these people that say we are just like the Islamics or the Muslims? It is not true. They do not preach the same gospel that we preach. They do not believe that Jesus Christ was God. Remember, Jesus said you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. Don't get delusion. Don't get, don't get into some kind of little candy land state of mind that you think this is some kind of little game. You will be hated of all men if you lift up the name of Jesus. If you declare him to be what he truly is. The King of kings and Lord of lords. He is altogether God. Every part of him is God. Uh, can you say amen? And so we have to lift him up as God. You can't play some kind of little ecumenical game. You can't play with this doctrine. You can't mess around with this message. This message is forever settled in heaven. God knows what he's doing. And God's purpose is that Jesus be lifted up. Calvary Tabernacle, would you just stand and put your hands together as a testimony tonight that we are going to be an apostolic church in these last days and we're going to keep the faith and hold tight to the apostles' doctrine and earnestly contend for the faith. Come on, if you believe it, that was once delivered to the saints, let the world hear you. Let the world see your flag unfurl. Put your banner up and say, here we stand. Here is our place. Here is our commitment. Here is our message. Here is our resolve. Here is our determination. We want a revival. Not just any old kind of revival, but a real Holy Ghost revival. Oh, I'd like to hear you give one more round of applause. Tomorrow, because of the wonders of technology, perhaps 10 to 13,000 people will touch down on this sermon tomorrow by the way of internet around the world. Think of that. Multiply all of us in this room by 13,000. And I want you to pray because I believe that Calvary Tabernacle needs to be live every Sunday night around the world on the internet. Will you help us pray that that can be done? That God will give us the $100,000 we need to do that. Come on, put your hands together. But let me preach now to our internet friends, the 13,000 that will join us sometime tomorrow or throughout the week. I want to go on record and let you know that Calvary Tabernacle is an apostolic church from the top of our head to the sole of our feet. And here we stand. Here is where we stand and die. We're here to lift up the name of Jesus Christ. For there is no other name given under heaven among men. Let me hear it. Whereby we must, must, must be saved. 
and we say to all those, we love you, but we will not compromise with you or for you, or we will not compromise to get the dollar or the connections. Clap your hands. We will not compromise for the dollars or the connections. I'm going to say it one more time. We will not compromise for the dollars or the connections. Clap your hands to the Lord if you believe it, Talbot. Come on, give me a worldwide witness. Give me a worldwide witness. We're going to lift him up. Lift him up. Tim, in your singing, lift him up. In your preaching, lift him up. In your preaching, lift him up. For if I be lifted up, I shall draw all men unto me. Secondly, and I close with this. I'm not finishing the sermon. I'm just closing for tonight. I believe there is a second thing. You may be seated momentarily. I believe there is a second thing that will bring revival, a true revival as we would seek after. A revival defined by God's Spirit. A revival that is clearly of the Holy Ghost. And I'm going to summarize just some of the manifestations of that revival. And I'll get back to, uh, shall we say, expanding on it later. But I'll summarize it a little bit. But, but before I get there, let me just add this other thing. It is the will of God to pour out His Spirit upon all flesh. To fill people, as it were, as we say, with the Holy Spirit. Make no mistake about this. It is not good church, really good church, until people are getting the Holy Ghost. Church membership, however large it may be, however intoxicating it may be for some people to put together large numbers. Large numbers mean nothing if the people in those numbers are not filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. Some so-called Pentecostal churches are claiming huge memberships today, but most of their new converts are not receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. One large Pentecostal organization admitted not too long ago in their national conference that less than 20% of their new converts actually receive the Holy Ghost speaking in other tongues as the Spirit of God gives the utterance. To me and to you and certainly to this Bible, a true Pentecostal revival is not where people fail to receive the Holy Ghost speaking in other tongues, but a true revival is where people actually do receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And when you get the Holy Ghost, you will speak with other tongues as the Spirit of God gives the utterance. Ladies and gentlemen, I am a tongue talker. I have been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And when the Holy Ghost came upon my life, I spake with other tongues as the Spirit of God gave me the utterance. And if you don't have that experience yet, may I tell you one more time, you don't know what you're missing because there's power in the Holy Ghost. There's joy in the Holy Ghost. There's peace in the Holy Ghost. Philosophy cannot give you this joy. The doctor cannot write a prescription for you that will give you this joy. The entertainment world cannot give you the joy that is the joy of the Holy Ghost. Some of you here are cheating yourself out of the dynamics of the Holy Spirit. You come here and don't worship. Shame on you. You ought to be on your feet worshiping God. And if God hasn't blessed you in a long time, you need to get out and say, God, I know it's your will to bless me. And I'm just going to pray until you come. I'm going to walk these aisles until you come. I'm going to sing until you come. I'm going to clap my hands till you come. I'm going to pray until you come. 
Somebody say amen. I want to go on record. I am not trying to be, all due respect, this is not disrespect, but I'm not trying to be a Baptist. Thank you, Jerry Falwell, but no thanks. I'm not trying to be a Lutheran. I'm not trying to be a Presbyterian. I'm certainly not trying to be a Catholic. I'm not trying to be like them, and I'm not looking for their endorsement. When the Pentecostal churches start trying to court, and it becomes big, it somehow becomes a big deal for us to have the endorsement and to have the favor of men in this world. And if we get so drunk on that, if we're not careful, we'll start giving up our position. Some people say, well, it's exclusivism and it's this or that. It's nothing but just hungry people that went to a meeting one night and said, if we can get the Holy Ghost, we want the Holy Ghost. And you know what? When we began to seek for the Holy Ghost, we found out that you can still get the Holy Ghost just like the apostles got it on the day of Pentecost. And when you get it like that, you'll speak with other tongues as the Spirit of God gives you the utterance. So it doesn't matter. Now listen, I say this kindly, but it doesn't matter what the world thinks about it. It doesn't matter what the Southern Baptist Convention thinks about it. It doesn't matter what the ecumenicals think about it. I don't care if they're meeting in Rome or if they're meeting in Switzerland. It doesn't matter what they think about it. What matters is that you stand on that book, that you stand on the truth, that you live by faith, that you walk in the Spirit, that you abide in Jesus Christ. That is what matters. Oh, I wish you'd just thrill me one more time by putting your hands together and say, Pastor, preach it, preach it, preach it, preach it. Some people say this is a liberal church. This is not a liberal church. This is a church that still believes in holiness and righteousness and separation from the world. And if you're not out of the world, then come out of the world. If you're not separated from the filth of this world, get separated from this world. Because you need to live in Christ. That's where your joy is. Somebody say yes. And so, I want to say that I think it's good that we receive the Holy Ghost speaking in other tongues. And we're not trying to water this down or compromise it. We care, but we don't care, if you know what I mean. We care about what people think about us, but we don't care to the degree that we're willing to sacrifice what God has done for us. Just to go along, to get along, so people will think that we're special. They're not going to think anything about us unless we hold this message. It's the fact that we have held on to the message of holiness, and the fact that we have held on to the message of the oneness revelation, and the fact that we have held on to the message of the essentiality of water baptism in Jesus' name, and the essentiality of receiving the Holy Ghost speaking in other tongues as the Spirit of God gives the utterance. It's the fact that we've held on to that tenaciously, and held on to it as an essential component of salvation that has directed the attention of the world toward us. And if we give that up, then the victory has been the victory has been forfeited and we have compromised what God gave to us by revelation. That, ladies and gentlemen, cannot be done at any cost for anybody, for any organization, for any personality, or for any amount of money. And if you leave me alone, that's okay. It's okay. Because God and one man make a majority, ladies and gentlemen. God and one man. So what would be some of the components of this revival? Some of the manifestations of this revival? The next time I preach to you on this subject, I'd like to talk to you on these points. Turn now to Acts chapter number 2 and look carefully. When the day of Pentecost was fully 
come. When the day of Pentecost was fully come. Here is the first manifestation of a real revival. The sovereignty of God. God is a God of timing. He is a God that moves in accordance to his own purposes and own will. What we have to discover is what the will of God is and know it and walk in it. We cannot, as some people try to pervert the scripture over in Isaiah, command God to show up just where we want him to do and perform like some kind of trained circus animal as we would request him to do. God is a sovereign, holy God. And there's a thing called timing. There's another element of revival, and it has to do with spiritual preparedness. The Bible said they were all together in one place, and they were in one accord. It is... It is ludicrous to think that a church can have a real moving of the Holy Spirit. In a few months and over the next year or so, we'll be laying master plans to hopefully, if we stay humble and God blesses us, we can do this by faith. And it is a huge project. Reach out to build a new home for Calvary Tabernacle Church that I believe just the building alone will impact our city. But it will also spotlight in us in a new way that we've never quite been in the forefront before. And this will be a crucial time testing our mettle and testing our commitment to the things that are righteous and holy. And there's one thing for certain. Just building a building will not bring the kind of revival we'll need to fill the building. But it is spiritual preparedness that will do that. It's getting together in one accord. Preparing our hearts. Minding our spiritual ABCs. And making sure that we don't fail in preparing our hearts. Notice the third manifestation or element of a true revival. It came suddenly and suddenly there came a sound. Suddenly, suddenly, suddenly. You see, this kind of suddenness of revival seems to suggest to us that it is beyond the touch of the human genius and mind. Due respect given to all the wonderful, gifted and talented people. But what we need is something that goes beyond our touch and talent. Something that comes from God. You see... This early church marveled. They were amazed. And those are the things that we need to bring back to the church. A sense of amazement and marvel. So that we leave Calvary on Sunday night and say, how marvelous, how amazing. I didn't understand it. Brother Mooney didn't even act like he knew really what was going on. It just seemed so surreal. It seemed supernatural. It seemed beyond us. And oh, what a blessed day that will be when the personalities fall into the background and the emergence of the Holy Spirit take such a hold of us that people say how amazed we were. And then notice another element and manifestation of this revival that I will talk to you about later. Notice this. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven. Now doesn't that say it all? And suddenly there came a sound from heaven. A manifestation, a spontaneous touch from heaven. Make it clear, the apostles didn't just have some uh, elementary understanding of this. This was, this was high-tech spirituality. A sound from heaven. A sound from heaven. And there's a difference, ladies and gentlemen. We can make sounds with the choir. We can make sounds with the orchestra. We can make sounds with our oratory. But there is a sound from heaven that's been missing in too many of our services for too long. 
And then the Bible says, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And began to speak with other tongues, all filled with the Holy Ghost. You see, here is the final, or at least one of the things that emerge here. Not certainly the final thing, but a fourth or fifth thing here that comes into focus. They became anointed vessels full of the Holy Spirit. You're all vessels here, but you're not all full of the Holy Spirit. We can't claim fullness of His anointing. When we're carried about by every wind of doctrine, when we're up and down, hot and cold, on and off, when we're inconsistent in our giving, inconsistent in our church attendance, inconsistent in our prayer life, when we don't sing, we don't worship, when we're filled with complaint, when we're filled with all kinds of negativity. You can't claim to be filled with the Spirit because when the Spirit comes, when God comes, He pushes out all that's negative and evil. Love fills your heart and joy fills your heart. Your mind is at peace. God brings peace. God brings God brings a sense of, of comfort and joy. And when we're like dogs when we're like little pickanese barking and snapping and complaining at one another we cannot claim to be filled with the holy spirit and so these people became filled vessels stand with me if you would so tonight we covered two elements two elements that i feel like the lord truly gave me to communicate with you over the past few weeks Two things that are clearly focused in the Bible. First of all, I challenge this church to stay in the business of lifting him up. Secondly, I challenge you to join with me and may we all stay at every level in the business of seeing people filled with the Holy Ghost. If we come in this place and don't do anything else but have a Holy Ghost meeting where we pray for people to receive the Holy Ghost... It is a good service because people need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We can't come into the church and be demand and demand entertainment. We must come into the church and yield to the Spirit. We can't demand that the pulpit always follow the published program, but we must demand that the Holy Spirit be in control of our lives. I'd like to ask this church, saints and sinner, whoever you are, to join me tonight. I need you to do this tonight. I appreciate the way you've responded to my preaching tonight. Thank you very much. I felt the Holy Ghost in this place. I feel God's Spirit right now. And I know we don't have a lot of room, but between the prayer room and the front of this place, or perhaps back there at your pew, I wonder how many of you would join me and just say, Pastor, let's be apostolic. Let's have a great renewing of our commitment to the truth and to Pentecostal revival. Would you just come around this altar or prayer room and stand with me as best we can and fill this place up tonight and say, I feel revival in the air. Let's have a great move of your spirit.